Welcome to Do Theology, where we keep doctrine in its place. Last year, we released a React episode, link in description, wherein we responded to Scott Anial and Todd Friel's comments about how Christians are led by the Holy Spirit in their lives. We offered some critiques, but did not offer much in the way of a positive case for what we think is right. So, today's episode is basically a follow-up to our React video to, to Aniel and to Friel, and we're seeking to articulate from Scripture a description of the Holy Spirit's guiding activity in our lives today. Sound like a massive task? Well, it is, and we will get into that on the other side of the music. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about His Word. I just realized something. He wasn't sleeping on a pillow. He was sleeping on purpose. Something to say I think is important but not essential would be like the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, oh, wow. And okay. I hold to the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay. The title of my sermon tonight is Why Church Nurseries Are Unscriptural and Wrong. And so that's why I have a baby on my hip right here. There is a level of anointing that I believe is going to invade your homes, invade your sight, invade your senses. Um, that's going to, I literally feel that chains are going to break off of you. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. yeah. Yay. So am I a bad guy for saying you're wrong? Yeah. I am? Yeah. <laughs> that's not fair. Hey, by the way, you are a slave. If you're not a slave of Christ... You're a slave of sin. You aren't free. Choose your master. Give us some men who know the truth. Well, we will come back to some of Scott Anial's and Todd Friel's thoughts, their comments toward the end of this episode. But uh, first, we need to just kind of lay down some basics of pneumatology. Pneumatology being the study of the Holy Spirit. What do we have in Scripture about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives? Uh, we we want to make sure we hit the, the plain and obvious stuff first before we get into the more difficult, questionable activity of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I do think it's appropriate, too, even before that, to discuss why this matters in the Christian life. Uh, why, if you were just to give, I guess, a summary thought, Ken, about why this conversation matters, what would you say? Well, there's a number of things that, that would come to mind. Uh, that we recognize rightly about the unique role of the Spirit as we read Scripture and see, you know, we're not modalists, right? Or we're not, uh, uh, I don't the different, you know, tritheists, or you know, we don't have these different understandings of the Trinity. We recognize the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, one God, yet three distinct persons, and each with different roles to play within the uh, the economic Trinity, as it were. Mm -hmm. And we want to understand that rightly. And part of that is, well, and probably one of the most controversial and difficult to wrestle through is the the Spirit's role, the pneumatology aspect of things. But we do want to understand His role rightly. Yes. Yeah. Not being modalists, we believe the three persons exist simultaneously yes. and minister to us simultaneously in different ways. So uh, if we can imagine in our mind's eye the old triangle and circle uh, illustration for the Trinity, where 
the points of the triangle, you write out Father, Son, Spirit, and then the circle that goes around those points, we write is not. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. It goes all directions. So, like, the Father did not incarnate like the Son. Uh, the, the Son is the one who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, not the Father and not the Spirit. And as we think about the ongoing ministry of the Father, He doesn't indwell in the same sense as the Spirit. Now, there's this in, very interesting verse in John 14 where Jesus says, John 14, 23, that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So there is this dwelling with sense, but he's not the Spirit. He doesn't indwell as the Spirit does, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And the Son, we know, Jesus Christ, he did not remain on the earth in the same sense that the Holy Spirit abides continually with the disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, there, there's an interesting passage in John 16. You you want to read this, Ken? You want me to read it? Yeah, I can read it. I have to pull hey, it this, up. This will be more like a, uh, I guess, Bible study episode, won't it? Because we have a lot of Scripture in our notes. Um, but But this section, John 14 through 16, those chapters, is really critical about our beliefs concerning the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 5 to 15, Jesus tells us that, as disciples of his, we have a great advantage. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, concerning sin righteousness, and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak." and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Well, obviously, these disciples went on to be the apostles and write Scripture, and the Holy Spirit brought about a special, unique gifting and function of the apostles in the early church. And so some of what Jesus is saying there applies to that. But there's also a general sense in which all of his disciples from generation to generation in the church, because of the blessings of the new covenant, have the Holy Spirit, and we are led by the Spirit. And this goes on indefinitely. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. So we have this advantage as disciples of Jesus Christ. We have the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Man, this is uh, this is critical for us. And this whole passage, you know, there's this is probably the most concentrated place of teaching about the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit will do as Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's this is you know right before he is um, 
this is, I think, is this in the upper room? That's where this is would have been yep. going on, um, right before his betrayal and all those sorts of things, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's teaching all these things. Well, if we do not have a sound practical theology of the Spirit's activity in our day-to-day life, we're really mm-hmm. going to struggle with how to deal and how to understand this marvelous section from John 14, 16, where Jesus is giving so much teaching about the role of the Holy Spirit within our lives. Yeah, and and the sad irony of it is that if we don't have a practical theology, so em- emphasis on both of those words, right? Practical and theology. Yes. If we don't have a sound practical theology of this, then Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit really just becomes words on paper, which is the exact opposite of what our experience is supposed to be with the Holy Spirit, which is a living experience, not like a like an actual living day-to-day, we are believers who have Him, this, this person, as our advantage, not just contained in a book, but He is involved in our lives. So we have to have that kind of practical understanding. But there are also misunderstandings <laughs> that, yeah. that, that come with this, and we, we need to be aware of those too. Yeah, and that's, this is where, you know, the, our React video was designed to kind of address what we thought was a perhaps an overreaction or a misunderstanding of some of the things that Scripture teaches about the Spirit's role. Uh, but then the pendulum can swing so far the other way. We see, you know, if you think about like the charismatic abuses of the Spirit and all the things that uh, that side of the spectrum believes the Spirit does, we can just get off track so easily and go fo- so far afield when we are not taking what the Scripture says for itself and, and embracing that for us. Yeah, and we, and we are cessationists. We need to say yes, that up front. Yes. Uh, I, I define cessationism pretty just simply, saying that there are certain miraculous sign gifts that the Holy Spirit gave to the church in the age of the apostles that no longer continue today. So... Uh, they they're miraculous gifts and they are sign gifts. So they they're supernatural in nature and, and the way that they function. And as signs, they point to the validity of someone's apostleship, the validity of the message, and that that had a unique role. So, but both of those uh, elements are important, and that that's how I go about defining cessationism. Is that comprehensive enough, Ken? Yeah, I think so. I think that that summarizes it pretty well. Uh, so the things that typically fall into that category, tongues, um, you know, prophecy, the whole you know, word of knowledge and things of that nature. Would Healing. Be, healings would certainly all fit within that. There's no more scripture being written today, right? That there's a closed mm-hmm. canon that would fall into that category. Um, so Even there was a gift called miracles, right? Yeah. Uh, the gift of miracles. Uh, yeah, I, I we number one. We don't believe that Scripture presents those gifts as having a continuing function throughout the entire church age. That's what's most important. But number two, you also just don't even see it experientially today. Right. So, What's next? Well, I guess we also, before we move on to the next thing, we need to address there are two ends to the spectrum. So charismania is what we're typically used to beating up on and saying we don't want to be charismatics. But what's the other end that we also want to be cautious or wary of? Well, I teased it a little bit with, uh, with as we mentioned, our React video, and you know, it, if if we are so scared of the charismatic end of the spectrum that we end up, 
being like a functional deist, it almost I almost feel like that could be hyperbolic in some ways. But it, in practical reality, it kind of can play out that way, where we tend to view just going through life as if everything depends upon our own knowledge, our own ability, our own everything, and there's very little dependence upon the spirit and very little uh, given to the spirit in terms of. Uh, either credit or just recognition of guidance that the spirit does genuinely provide to the believer in everyday life. Uh, and that's, that's not a direction we want to go either. Yeah. I mean, I will say this, and it would help if someone would go back and listen to the react video. If someone's listening to this and isn't sure about that, we do have that link in the description. Um, those tweets from any especially, I, w- I will just say this. If that is not functional deism, where God is essentially hands-off, that is as close to functional deism as you can get without being a functional deist. Uh, the, the, some of those tweets were yeah, Define deism really quickly, just for anyone who may not be familiar with that. So deism, essentially, I mean, this is just bare bones. There are, I'm sure, different flavors of it. But a bare bones view of deism is that God is transcendent, but not imminent. He is infinite, but not personal. So he is all-powerful to create everything. He, he transcends time, space, and matter. But he is not personally involved in our day-to-day lives in leading, guiding, directing. Uh, again, personally uh, that way. So like Aniel would obviously say, and we like Aniel, friend yes. of the show. He would say that um, God does guide us. He's given us his word. But that's where he stops. But it's up to us then essentially to go through and to study the word and apply it through and through 100%. That's up to us is the way those tweets were coming across. Tweets have that inherent downside where you can't give full explanations, but he's the one who chose to tweet them. And so um, if you go back and, and check those out in that episode, that's what we're saying is approaching functional deism if it's not there all the way. Right. And so it's almost like uh, some people sometimes use the analogy, it's like God wound up the universe and just kind of let it go. And he's not Mm -hmm. personally involved in the day-to-day aspects of our lives. And we're saying scripture says otherwise. And if that's not the direction that people like Annual wants to go, well, maybe there needs to be some clarity in, in regard to those things. So we're hoping to provide some level of clarity where we're going to take a stab at it anyway. Yeah. So let's um, let's talk about the Spirit's activity in our lives today, starting with He leads us. Uh, Christians are to be led of the Spirit. And in fact, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, you are defined as being one led of the Spirit. I love this short little verse, Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God these are the sons of God. That's an amazing statement. It's not long. You can memorize it, and it has importance. But that, of course, presents to us a little bit of a quagmire because we say, well, what on earth does that mean? Um, If we call ourselves children of God because we believe in Jesus Christ, then that means we must be led by the Spirit. But what on earth does it mean to be led by the Spirit? In that same chapter, Romans 8, gives us some indication. You can start by saying, well, negatively, it means that you are not in the flesh. You are no longer serving the flesh. It says in Romans 8, 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Romans 8, again, 12 and 13, it says, Brothers, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So negatively, it means not indulging the flesh. And it also means not being under the law. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. Verse 18, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So it means being not in the flesh, not carrying out the desires of the flesh, which is sin, not being under the law, but instead, as your guiding principle of life, you are being led by God himself, God the Spirit, into righteousness and joy and peace. Amen. So that's that's the negative side of it where you know, leading us away from sin, away from the flesh. On the positive side, we see other the positive things that Scripture sets forth about the Spirit— after God's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit within our lives and uh, sealing us into Christ, the Spirit's leading is God's work of teaching us, sanctifying us, and directing our thoughts. And that is really what we're going to start to unpack throughout the rest of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. If we're making a positive case for the Spirit's work, it really does come down to those three things, teaching us, sanctifying us, and then, of course, this really personal aspect of directing us, guiding us in our personal context. You could say directing our thoughts, okay? And that's where all the tension is. So these first two, his work of teaching us and sanctifying us, I think we can cover that pretty quickly, don't you, Ken? Yeah, there's less disagreement about the nature of these things. There might be some you know, particular you know, points of nuance people might want to make here and there about stuff. But generally speaking, there's there's broad agreement about how Okay, you know, the Spirit, He is the one who's the divine author of Scripture, right? He is uh, holy men of God wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's Second Peter chapter 1. And then we also find in First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, where it is through the Spirit that we are taught. He gives us the mind of God through our reading of Scripture as we study the Scripture and as the Scripture is presented there. Uh, let me pull that text up real quick as uh, we look at First Corinthians chapter 2. For to us, God revealed them, this is beginning with verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Hmm. That's, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty amazing passage. Uh, God has revealed to us these, these things that are revealed to us. That's where it starts in verse 10. But we don't know his mind. He reveals to us words in uh, Paul even refers to, I believe, earlier in that passage, mystery. 
he he gives us amazing truths, but we don't have his mind. The Holy Spirit, though, comes to us having the mind of God, and he leads us, teaches us. This is where we come up with our doctrine of illumination, mm-hmm. even though that word is not used there. He illumines Scripture for us. He guides us into all truth, that passage we read from John earlier. And so, that, yeah, illumination, if we're to keep reading in that same text, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Right? Unbelievers, they don't get this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit within their lives to help them understand the Scriptures and how it applies and help them see the spiritual truth that exists there. But rather, verse 15, he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Amen. So, I mean, obviously we we believe that an unbeliever can learn a language and read a book. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, believing, or sorry, unbelieving English speakers can pick up an English Bible and can understand the words on the pages. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. There's but, commentaries written by unbelievers, right? Yeah. Yeah, very true. And they understand the words. Yes. But to make true spiritual application to your personal life and even to grasp and understand the the way that Scripture fits in the overall program of God in light of eternity and its importance, seeing it with the eyes of your heart by faith, they're unable to do that. Hmm. It's just they're totally unable. They're made in the image of God, yes but they do not have the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so that's that's the tension there. How do we then get illumination? Um, if we're saying we're cessationists, we would be denying that he calls us on the phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> or that he plants thoughts in our head or he speaks to us audibly today. So this illumination that he gives, how does that happen? Well, I think as, we're, as we read the Scriptures and as we're studying it out and the Holy Spirit is connecting the words that we're reading there to our own lives in our own personal life contexts. You're reading a passage about, you know, it could be anything. Um, uh, don't let, you know, uh, let's see, uh, don't lie to one another. Well, and now all of a sudden you, something comes to mind and you realize, oh, I've been lying. I told this lie. I, I spoke falsehood to uh, someone that I should not have done. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that as you're reading that passage, he's connecting the dots from what's right there into your personal life, your personal life experience, and your your eyes are illumined. Your, your heart is illumined to the truth and how it applies directly. Now, that's a very easy connection to make. I think there are other places where it's, you wouldn't necessarily, it's not a, a, as, as direct one-to-one like that, but there's truth in the passage that you begin to see connecting it to your personal life experience. Yeah, and that is that's a really important point that we will come back to toward the end of this episode for sure. But yeah, very important point. And you know, through the church, uh, we have pastors and teachers who yes. can make application to a bit of a broader context uh, in the church, like a certain church going through a particular issue. They're, these teachers are gifted in such a way to make application for the church. Uh, you know, preachers, of course, have to be careful with that and not create new laws. And, you know, they're saying they're making application for the church, but, you know, if you don't do this, that I, this application that I see, then you're in sin or something like that. They, they can't do that. But 
they can have that type of prophetic voice in the church as they're guided to explain and expound upon Scripture. And as we have mentors and Mm. those in the church who keep us accountable, they can be like Nathan was to David and point out sin in our lives and use the Word of God to do that. They should have the Bible in their hand as they're doing it and explaining to us in Scripture how we might be off course. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that Scripture is sufficient for this, for admonishment, for correction, uh, for teaching, for reproof. So um, all of that, I think, falls into the category of the Spirit's illumination. He uses these means to do that. Have you ever had anyone come to you after a sermon and say, oh, man, I just felt like you were just preaching right at me? Oh, oh, yeah. And yep. it's like you didn't have a clue what was going on in their personal lives. Well, that's <laughs> that's this, right? That's the Spirit. That's His uh-huh. working, taking the Word and connecting it into the life situation of, of our lives and uh, illumining our eyes and our hearts to see our need to be in line with the Scripture. Because you know what happens? We're over there thinking, oh, Joe needs to hear this. And we're thinking about Joe the whole time. And if all goes over Joe's head and none of it hits home, right. and then Sally Sally comes up and says, it's like you're preaching to me. Right. Like, well, no, I was preaching to Joe. <laughs> or Joe doesn't even show up that Sunday. That's right. what happens a lot too. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, this is, I, I think, when it comes to understanding the way that the Spirit teaches us, that needs to be primary in our concept of being led by the Spirit, because we won't be able to be sanctified Mm. apart from God's Word, which is truth. Jesus said uh, when he prayed to the Father about the disciples, sanctify them in your Word, for your Word is truth. Amen. And that is this next point, okay? The the Spirit teaches us. We're understanding the Scriptures. We're understanding what His Word says and how it applies. Well, that leads to this sanctification process, right? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Spirit, we are to be led by the Spirit in our sanctification. This takes place in a variety of of, of places within our lives, um, and it starts by the indwelling of the Spirit. All right, we touched on that already. The Spirit comes and takes up residence within our hearts. Um, if we want to open up First um, Corinthians chapter 6. Yeah, there there are some people who will say um, you are a temple of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians 3, which is a great verse to go to. But in the context, 1 Corinthians 3 is talking about the local church as a whole, whereas 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 19, in, in that context, it's talking about our individual bodies and what we do with our individual bodies as Christians, where Paul is saying, don't go join yourself to a prostitute, and he gives the reason in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Amen. Yeah, not your own, but you are bought with a price. Ah, that's great. Good stuff. And he also, as he indwells us, he assures us and comforts us as a part of sanctification, where it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, breaking down the mechanics <laughs> of how that works, that is a little bit more difficult because there are different ways I think that happens. I don't think there's just this one way that that happens. But the truth remains, as children of God, we receive assurance and comfort from the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts. That's the language of Romans. He's poured out into our hearts that we would cry out, Abba, Father, to God. I mean, that, that's just, 
an amazing aspect of his ministry in our sanctification is the assurance and comfort we receive from him. Yeah, so not only do we have the uh, his assurance and his comfort within our lives, but then he begins to produce fruit within us. That's the language of Galatians chapter 5. We know that's a real famous text about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, this is what the Spirit produces within us, verse 22, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. We have the privilege, the opportunity, and the 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 joy of seeing the Spirit of God work these things mm-hmm. out within us, such that every time that we are going about our lives and these fruits are exhibited, we can say, the Spirit did that. Mm-hmm. Praise God for the Spirit's working within our hearts that He's given me joy in the midst of this trial. He is He has given me love towards a, a someone that is not acting very lovable. Mm-hmm. Right, he's given me peace in the midst of of trying circumstances. All of that is brought about by the working of the Holy Spirit within our hearts and our lives as we live out our days on this earth. Yes, the fruit is His fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. He also bestows gifts, spiritual gifts. It says in First Corinthians twelve eleven that the Holy Spirit distributes to each one individually spiritual gifts just as He wills. Now that is that is pretty amazing. Uh, he, in his function in the Godhead and in our lives, he has a will, obviously, and his will is the determining factor for your spiritual gifts. Pretty amazing. Uh, homeschool co-op is about to start here. I'm not sure if you heard the screeching of a raven, but that was actually just a toddler. <laughs> Well, I did not hear it, and you're not hearing my airplanes flying overhead, so I guess we're even then. (laughs) Win-win. So, yeah, I mean, again, we are cessationists when it comes to uh, spiritual gifts. The miraculous sign gifts have ceased, but he continues to distribute gifts. That's one of the things that really annoys me when continuationists talk about our position, Mm. like... Like those people who no longer believe in the the gifts of the Spirit. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) That is a really sad mischaracterization. Yes. Well, finally, there, there's the filling of the Spirit. And again, hitting the, the cessationist you know, note again, okay, yeah, we're not, that doesn't mean that we're speaking in tongues and things of that nature. We don't believe that's what being filled by the Spirit means. But we have this command in Ephesians chapter 5 about being careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most use of your time because the days are evil, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the... You introduce that as a command, and there are, of course, several imperatives in there. And one of those imperatives is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Do you know how to explain that, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> how do you how do you obey that command? How do you obey a passive command? Yeah. Right. You're right. Uh, being to to be filled means that something else is doing the filling, right? So you yes. have to be open to basically receiving that, right? You have to be open to the Spirit filling, uh, being filled with the Spirit, filling, being filled by the Spirit. 
I really think that verse 19 is really helpful for us as we consider uh, what does this mean and what does this look like. Uh, speaking to one another, that's a participle that could be a participle of means. Um, you know, how do we do this by speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? We're declaring truth to one another as truth is being declared to you, as you're declaring truth to others. We're allowing the truth of God to fill us and to uh, the Spirit of God to fill us through that. Singing, making melody in your hearts to God, always giving thanks for for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Gratitude. We are filled with the Spirit as we express gratitude for everything yes. that God has done for us. Yes, uh, that is, that's good. Um, I think a lot of people will in, in go to that Ephesians five passage, and of course with charismatic glasses on. And make it something like at the end of John's gospel, when Jesus breathed mm. on the disciples mm. and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Like that's like, well, what's going on there? Again, it's a command for something that's happening passively, but it's also much more mystical. I mean, there you have the incarnate Christ uh, in front of you. I believe you God going is going to invade your senses. He's going to invade your sight. He's going to invade. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. That Mike Todd clip from our intro. Um, but even though it's a more boring answer, Paul puts that command to be filled with the Spirit next to those other commands because they're connected, yeah. not because they're radically different, but they are definitely connected. Yes. So these so, are ways, yeah, where, that the Spirit oh sanctifies my. us, right? These, these things are yeah. a little bit more on the straightforward side, and I think the majority of cessationists would affirm these things together and say, yeah, I think we have a, a common understanding of these things. Well, as we get into this last part where there begins to be more differences of opinion and differences of understanding of the Spirit's work within our lives. Yes. So what does it mean to be led of the Spirit in the matters of opinion or conscience, conviction of personal sin, even in our decision-making? That's what we're entering into now, and that's what we want to dwell on, because this really does affect the day-to-day and, and for those who are cessationists, this challenges us because the stuff we were just talking about, hopefully, if you're in a good church and, and you're doing well um, by faith, walking with the Lord, that all that other stuff that we've been talking about is pretty automatic in our lives, right? I mean, this is, that's like our day-to-day life. It's our, it's our weekly life, and even day-to-day as we fellowship together and we're being filled with the Spirit in the ways that we gather and are illumined by one another, all of that stuff. Okay. But now we kind of get into the realm where it's a little more personal. It's more individual and that can concern us and rightly so for some reasons. But at the same time, we need to challenge ourselves here. We need to push ourselves a little bit and say, okay, what has the Lord said that he's up to in our day-to-day walk with him personally? So, uh, I, I want to start with the conscience as we talk about this. We, we talk about the conscience a lot on this show because that is, of course, the determining factor in that realm of opinions, the third mm-hmm. column, the doubtful things column on our chart. And it's spoken of a lot in Scripture. Uh, the New Testament brings out the conscience a lot. Paul writes about the conscience a lot. And I believe that it may be the clearest example of how God is still intimately involved in leading us in a personal, customized way. And that is the tension point, because we need to say, how, how customized is this? 
But but if we start with saying, well, yeah, God's involved in this whole conscience business. Well, now we've just opened the door to his personal involvement quite a bit. I mean, if, if we say he's not involved, that the conscience is totally on us. Well, now, uh, you know, this is a different conversation. But if we say he is involved in shaping our consciences, that that opens the door, doesn't it, Ken? I mean, it certainly does. I mean, we have to, it opens the door to asking a lot more questions, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what does true. that look like? How far does that go? All those sorts of things. And yeah, that's what we're going to try to talk about. Huh? Well, Romans 14 is that classic chapter about opinions, though 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 has a lot to say also. But Romans 14 is um, a little more straightforward. It can be difficult to understand exactly what Paul was wanting the application to be in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, but <clears throat> that's a very worthy study. In, in Romans 14, the two main examples that he uses uh, are eating and observing holidays. He also talks about drinking uh, there, but uh, that's in verse 21. He brings up wine, but he talks about vegetarians versus non-vegetarians. He talks about observing days versus not observing days. He talks about drinking wine versus not drinking wine in that verse I just mentioned. And these are all matters of opinion, matters of conscience in the Christian life where there will be believers who have disagreements on this based on where their conscience is, what their opinions are. And I'm going to argue today that our consciences aren't man-made. I think we participate in shaping our consciences, but I I believe that God is at work forming and shaping our conscience, uh, our individual consciences, as we go through the Christian life and, and putting us all together in the church. And he's, Paul does mention in this chapter, the spirit, not in a way that we would necessarily expect, but he says um, in verse 17, in the middle of talking about opinions regarding eating and drinking, he says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So he's saying in that, in that verse, in the middle of this conversation, that kingdom life is not about the opinions themselves, but Kingdom life as Christians together, I could use that dreaded phrase, doing life together, <laughs> is about exercising opinions in righteousness and in joy and in peace, all in the Holy Spirit. So we aren't developing our opinions or exercising our consciences apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't think. I, I believe this is all happening in the Spirit and that He's involved, if He's indwelling us, if He's filling us, if He's leading us, these are all New Testament affirmations, then our conscience necessarily falls under his purview. Is that agreeable? Yes. And and with that in the context of the the, the application of Paul is, you know, you're trying to give deference to one another. Um, I would think that not only are our own consciences shaped and directed by the Holy Spirit, but then also how we respond to others' consciences and opinions are directed or ought to be directed and guided mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit as well. Yeah, and you get some of that, of course, in Romans 14, but 1 Corinthians 8 uh, leads you into that side of things more, where you're thinking about how you respond, and into chapter 10 also, where Paul's talking about the meat offered to idols and saying, hey, if you get invited over for dinner, don't ask about where that meat came from, 
for conscience's sake. Mm-hmm. And he says, not, not your conscience, but the conscience of the one who put it on the table. So we have to be considerate of other people's consciences, not just be caught up in our own, mm-hmm. which is, of course, Christian love, to count others' needs as more important than ourselves. Amen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, here's another passage where I believe we discover the Holy Spirit's personal, customized leading in our lives. Uh, Paul writes, starting in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 3, that we have confidence through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, how much, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? So he's making a, a contrast here between life under the law and life under the Spirit. And we already read that if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Amen. The law was not given as a gospel. The law was not given as a means of entering into relationship with God in salvation. It was given as the ministry of his covenant people in life under that old covenant, where they looked to the letters engraved on stones, and day by day they were condemned. That was the ministry of the law, holy, just, and good, to condemn them over and over again as it was their tutor, their pedagogue to lead them to Christ. And now that Christ has come, we're no longer under that pedagogue. We don't look to the law, the letters engraved on stones in our day-to-day life, but as ministers or servants of a new covenant, we are now led by the Spirit. We look to the Spirit in this life. And that's all those things that we've said before, uh, talking about being illumined, talking about being filled, getting His fruit, getting those gifts, also in a personalized way, <laughs> okay? Um, because he doesn't just give everybody the same thing generally in that, and then he's hands off, but he works it into our personal context as we go day by day living as servants of a new covenant. It's an incredible thing. It's taking everything down into our each individual lives and applying it in that way. It's beautiful. Yes. I mean, we are certainly seeing here that we have the common authority, Scripture. We all go to Scripture as our common authority. We all get the same Scripture. We get the same Bible. We get the same imperatives as as His church. That's 100% the case. But that's not to the exclusion of this personal leading. Um, I, I think another example we could point to is in Revelation, the churches that are spoken to in Revelation 2 and 3, those seven churches, to go through and look how John says, this is what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And it, it it's very detailed about their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got one church tolerating Jezebel, and you've got another church that's doing well, and you've got another church that's doing bad, and he's explaining how that is that they're doing well or they're doing bad. You have Laodicea where he's talking about uh, the water, that you wouldn't be you know lukewarm 
or that you wouldn't be lukewarm, but you'd rather be hot or cold. Well, that's reference to their personal context in a sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have the Spirit speaking in a personalized way in the way He's instructing them, leading them, and convicting them of their sin. He, he convicts us of sin in a personalized way. So if we just back up and think philosophically, who, who gets the credit for conviction of, of sin? The sin in your life, your personal sin that, that you've committed, that the guy next to you hasn't committed, when you arrive at a conviction of that personal sin, who gets credit? I believe it should be the Spirit of God. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and to the Thessalonians, Paul wrote that when we came to you, it wasn't just men preaching words out into the air, but there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power through the conviction that came with the preaching. And so um, I think we, we give the Holy Spirit not just credit for our born-again experience, but continually as we're convicted and we go to God in forgiveness. And the, and the fruit that He produces, all that fruit is lived out in specific actions. I mean, mm-hmm. you were saying as your example, to love somebody who's being unloving toward you. That's a personal thing you're dealing with in a customized situation, but the Holy Spirit is bringing about that personalized fruit and guiding you in your personal life in your customized context. Right. So the the fruit, you know, maybe there might be different headings that are the same for different people. Both individuals have joy, but that joy is expressed in very different life contexts and in a very and it it flows out of an individual in a very unique way according to that individual's Maybe perhaps their personality could play into that, but just the way that is yes. expressed is going to be different for each person. Yes. Um, and the personality plays a part. We are certainly involved, but the Holy Spirit also leads us, guides us, directs us. How we encourage someone else, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we're called to encourage one another. The way we do that is going to be different, and the Holy Spirit is going to work through our personality to bring about that fruit. That, that's how Scripture works, right? Like, Paul had his personality, Peter has had his personality, and the Holy Spirit worked through them to bring about exactly what he wanted. Amen. And so he gets the credit for Scripture, ultimately, not Paul, yet Paul's personality is all over his letters. Mm-hmm. So. It's just a neat thing, you know, and to, to think about the, the reality of still being called to live out and to strive for holiness and all of that, and yet knowing also that that is all possible because of the empowering work of the Spirit accomplishing it through us. Yes. It's, it's so cool. And um, this is an area where we could get into, like, promptings. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Tom Schreiner is a cessationist who is big on promptings. And... Uh, that's difficult because that's not a word given to us in scripture, but thinking of how the spirit brings about his fruit in our lives in a customized way, does he prompt us somehow? Like some people would say there's an urge to do something or to not do something, to refrain from doing something. There's the the famous story. Well, I say it's famous. I don't know how famous it is. That Beth Moore told, I was going to play it on this episode, but it's she takes way too long to tell the story. But she talks about being in an airport, and she sees a man in a wheelchair whose hair is all disheveled. And basically, she claims that the Spirit prompted her to go brush the man's hair. 
and she had all these reasons for not doing it. And she ends up going over there and doing it and having a conversation with him. Now that leads to, <laughs> to, uh, all sorts of criticism that we could offer there. Right. Right. Yes. Like where, where would you start in criticizing such a, a story? Well, so I, I did not listen to the story is fresh in your mind and not in mind. You listened to it before this episode. I did I, not. I skimmed it. Yeah. It was, it was too long to even for me just to listen yeah. to, to. I, I think yeah. in there, she says that God told me that she used yep, that language. Like that. Yeah. And that's, that's problematic. You know, we're talking about the, the audible voice of God. Um, and as again, we don't, we don't believe that that's an ongoing thing. Um, we don't have what we lack is I think clear examples in scripture that says that this is a work of the spirit that he does these things. That's, that's just something that we would just be inventing and saying, Oh yeah, this is what the spirit does. So based on, on what information. So, well, basically someone saying that the, the spirit leads us, he brings about fruit. His fruit is, well, so let's take one aspect, love. And, you have to show love in different ways. And mm-hmm. so he's leading you to show love in a certain way. I mean, that I, I would imagine that would be how someone could respond to that. And you know what? If if someone, if it came into your mind to say, you know what, I'm going to, I think I'm going to show love to this person by going and brushing his hair. Okay, maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's an expression of, of love. I think the the hang up and the difficulty is to say, well, this God told you to do that. So, oh. so this is going to be for cessationists. I think this is always going to be our hang up is certainty. Mm-hmm. Is this God or not? Yeah. So this is where this is what Todd Friel was struggling with in that React video, right? Mm-hmm. Is that um, basically in in our fear of saying something is certainly God we end up just saying, well, it was ourselves. That's, that's your only other option, right? Yeah, I mean, there is no other option. And so if you're crediting yourself, then you actually open up another can of problems that I don't think we as cessationists fairly evaluate that often. So, I mean, take the conviction of sin example. We are, are we certain that the Lord convicted us or is this a connection that we made just recognizing that we did something in our lives? And so now we need to adjust. I would be very wary of saying, well, that was just me. Certainly. But I think there's a, there's a difference there, but I think you would also not say, yes, um, God told me that, Right, like, like, so, like you, well, yeah, I, I'd never say that God told me phrase. Right, so, so you feel you're you're reading. Let's use the example that I we've already used in in this episode so far. You're reading the text that says, "Do not lie to your neighbor," and okay. oh, you get a little prick in your heart because it, it just cuts you to the quick because you just realized, oh, I, ah, Joe asked me, you know, if I had twenty bucks, and I said I don't, but I actually did have twenty bucks, and I just didn't want to give it to him. Okay. Now, good, now I'm I'm convicted by this. Mm-hmm. Um, you would not say. You know, we we would both rightly say the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Okay. All right. Yes. So so right there, what are we saying? That's I think that's a valid place to pause and say what are we saying when we say that? Because we're not saying 
again, he called us on the phone. Right. He, we heard a voice. We, he was in the whirlwind, you know, right. we're not, we're not invoking any of that type of more commonly charismatic language and experiential type stuff, but yeah. we wouldn't but say we're, God told me, you know, that, that I told a lie there. Right. Yeah. But we're, we're not giving ourselves any credit. We're saying we're giving God all the credit, being active in our personal customized context and bringing something to our thinking. Is that how, is that the direction we would go? Yeah. The connecting, there's uh, something in our hearts and our minds. This is, I, I know that, you know, using the heart language can muddy things too. Right. But there's, yeah. there's an aspect of things there where it's like, you know, you can, you can physically feel something sometimes, you know, down here right? where it's like that's the mm-hmm. whole the whole bowels thing situation comes into play um, which is the greek word for what compassion yeah that um uh, the bowels are churning uh there's compassion in the bowels yeah right and so there's there's definitely places where uh where, where we can feel it physically but there is also something happening within our minds that's calling to mind this situation and connecting it with that truth and yeah, to say that the Spirit is guiding that process and the Spirit is actually doing that within us, I think, is good and right and appropriate. And then we need to stop short of saying, yes, the Lord told me that I told a lie. Yeah. Right. We could say it's hard because we could even say in some sense, yes, the Lord revealed this to me. Mm-hmm. He made oh oh the revelation word <laughs> I don't know. He he called he he made me remember something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. That's hard. And and it's even harder when we move from conviction to positive action because mm-hmm. conviction is is simple because it's in one sense because it's like obviously the Lord is doing this. We have a verse clearly that says the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. So uh, we can imagine as believers, we should be more in tune to that even, uh, that through his word, he's going to be doing that. That's part of his aspect of illumination or his ministry of illumination that we've already talked about. Um, So yes, uh, that's going on. Can we fully explain it? Not really. But then you venture into this hairbrush story type stuff uh, where Beth Moore's in the airport and we're setting aside all of our other thoughts about Beth Moore, dear listener. Okay. So it might as well be, you know, your aunt June. Okay. Okay. So there's this, um, there's this, whatever you want to call it, prompting, feeling, urge, motivation, unction, desire, whatever, put, put the word in to go do something and your flesh is fighting it. We've all been there as Christians. We know this feeling. It comes up a lot in evangelism where you don't really want to talk to this person, but you're feeling the need to do it. Do we give the Holy Spirit credit for that too? Mm -hmm. Because now we're not just talking about something you clearly did that was wrong and this is objectively wrong. We're talking about in the realm of subjective positive action and being a, a tool in the right. Lord's hand. Is that the spirit prompting you to action? Is right. that the spirit prompting you? Cause this is to be, to be precise. The Holy spirit is, is the Holy spirit in those moments prompting us to apply specific truth from the word of God to this particular life circumstance. We all know that right. we're called to proclaim the gospel. Is the Holy spirit in that moment prompting us to talk to this person about the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're all called to be loving. 
Is he prompting us to specifically apply that truth in this moment to, you know, whoever, you know, someone who's, uh, you know, trying to jumpstart their car or something and you've got a jump pack in your vehicle or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to come back around to, I think, more of these thoughts here. Um, I'm sure you can tell, listener, that we've now gotten off of our notes a lot more. We wanted to get through that first part more quickly, so we were pretty robotic and programmed there about how we did that, <laughs> and we saved a lot of our own conversation for the episode, and so there's more to discuss. But let's also incorporate decision-making now. Uh, that's kind of what we were talking about, mm-hmm. decision-making, but this, I think we can incorporate more of the bigger decisions of life. Where are you going to go to school? Where are you going to live? Who are you going to marry? What car are you going to buy? All that kind of stuff. The broader uh, not things, just, right? Yes. Yeah. The, and the stuff that isn't necessarily a demonstration of love right. or joy, even though each one of those situations could be if you wanted to make it about that. But stuff that's more like practical for your own personal living day-to-day life. So you've actually written uh, written up a little series, a short series on decision-making, or was it one class? What yeah, was I, I taught a Sunday school class on, on decision-making and how to, how to think through some of those things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it is definitely a challenging topic, right? How does the Spirit guide us in our decision-making? You know, there's different ways that people talk about, you know, discerning the will of God, you know, using it in that way of, you know, like God's got this secret will and we're trying to figure it out. And as if like, there's like a target and there's a bullseye and we're trying to hit the target and we could miss and, oh no, we did mm. something that God, you know, didn't want us to do. You know, we picked the wrong school to go to, we married the wrong person or we bought the wrong car or something of that nature. Yeah. Yes. So that is a wrong way of approaching this subject that you would do well now if you're if you're thinking through this for your own personal life, you would do well to make sure that thinking isn't in your head. Um, And we also want to be careful not to put God to the test in any way that we go about doing this. Like Gideon, who set out Mm -hmm. his fleece uh, to see if he was supposed to do something or not, you know, to see if there was dew on the fleece. We don't want to do that. Um, In fact... Don't want to do the dew. (laughs) We don't want to do the dew. That... It was wrong of Gideon to go about doing yes. that. He he did not need to do that. He was not told to do that. You shouldn't set up a system for God to play your game to affirm, you know, some sort of decision in your life where or you set up a test for God to meet it. Don't don't put God to the test. But at the same time, we don't want to be deists. We want to recognize that God is involved and he cares about our life choices. He, it's not like God's hands off and says, yeah, do whatever you want with that kind of stuff. I don't really care what kind of car you buy. I think, I think God has a concern for every aspect of our lives. And so we, we don't want to go deist on this. We want to maintain the appropriate balance. And there's the difficulty. It's maintaining <laughs> the balance because it is, even as we were discussing this before the episode, we were kind of I, I think sharpening iron with one another is we're trying to refine yeah. our language and how we talk about and think about these things. And there's there's some sticking points that may even be revealed as we continue to try to discuss through that uh, for the rest of this episode, because it is challenging. It is. It is. Well, let me give a couple examples from Scripture here that I think are helpful for us to look at. Um, now, these are both from the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. We're going to the book of Acts. 
So we have to consider when this was. This was when miraculous sign gifts were still operative. This is in the life of an apostle. Those are two very important details, Mm -hmm. okay? But uh, I think we would be wrong to just write them off as having no information about how our lives are to be lived. I I think we need to wrestle with them a little bit. That's all I'm saying, all right? So Acts 16, verse 6, it says, um, this is Luke writing, describing what was going on in the missionary journey. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So the missionaries did not speak the word in Asia because they were forbidden by the Spirit. In Acts 21, verse 11, uh, this is um, where the man, the prophet, is warning Paul. You you have people telling Paul to um, not go to Jerusalem, that it's going to be bad if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul is committed because of the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I mean, that's the the language he uses, that he's bound by the Spirit. So I guess that's another verse that I should share. Paul, in his missionary journey, said he was bound by the Spirit to head to Jerusalem regardless of how God's people were warning him. It says in Acts 20, verse 22, I'm bound by the Spirit on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Well, you go to the next chapter, chapter 21, And you have this man who is a a prophet, and he is getting ready to uh, tell Paul what's going to happen to him there. Agabus is his name. He came to Paul, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So, Paul's journeys here, the Holy Spirit is very much involved in speaking through people to Paul and binding and loosening Paul's own heart about where he goes and what he does. I find that to be quite interesting. Now, again, we could write it all off and say, it's just time of the apostles, time of the miraculous sign gifts. None of that happens today. But I don't think we're actually getting all that there is for us if we go that route. Obviously, there's there's a few challenges with those texts as we're not told the means of which. What does it mean that the Spirit did not permit them to speak the word in that location? Uh, is yep. that as simple as, you know, we talk about like open doors and closed doors where like, well, we were headed that direction, but then you know, the craziest thing happened. This, you know, this tree fell across our path and there was no way to get past it or something like that. It's like, well, I guess the spirit prevented, he did not permit us to speak the word there. Like, well, we were just not told the details of what that looked like or if the spirit spoke directly to Paul or if he felt something in his heart and attributed it to the spirit. We don't, we just don't know. I think that's a challenging thing that we have to recognize within that. Totally. Uh, It's interesting that the very next verse in that Acts 16 passage talks about the spirit of Jesus did not permit them to go to another location. And then later on, he has a dream, and he says, after that, he concludes that God had called them to go to Macedonia on account of the dream. 
So Mm. in a very short passage, some very interesting events that unfold that prevent Paul from going one direction and lead him in a different direction based off of different things that that go on. Mm -hmm. And And he's bound by the Spirit. And another spirit-led man says, you'll be bound physically if you go <laughs> to where you say that you're bound. Right. And then all the people respond, begging him not to go. That's verse 12. When we heard this, we, as well as the local mm-hmm. residents, began begging him not to go. Mm-hmm. And there are some commentators you read that says Paul was in sin by going to Jerusalem. I've read them because I preached on that passage in Acts 21 mm-hmm. where Paul actually goes into the temple with the believing Jews that James introduces him to, and he makes sacrifices. They, they, he buys the sacrifices. He's purified along with them in the temple. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah. In, I don't believe uh, he was in passages. sin. Do you believe he was in sin? No, no. I do not believe so. Um, now, <clears throat> I, I want to throw this one out there, too. Uh, this is Paul writing to the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians 2. Paul tells them he wanted to come to them more than once, yet Satan hindered us. Mm. And that's another one of those passages where we don't see how. On that one, I'm less inclined to think there was any kind of audible interaction that Satan <laughs> like spoke to him. You're not going, and I'm doing this. It must have been some sort of deduction on Paul's end or God telling him this is Satan's work. I, I, it, again, we don't have that information, mm. but I think you can rule out maybe a few more things. Right. Uh, but but yeah, it, it's that's another place where Paul was on a journey and was hindered. This time it was Satan, not the spirit hindering him. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I get they are two different words. Satan hindered, whereas the spirit forebode yeah. him. So those are some interesting passages. And again, we are not apostles. We believe that cessationism is correct. However, we are still led by the Spirit, just as they were led by the Spirit. Uh, that is a reality. Now, it looks different, but it's a reality that's the same. And if I was preaching through those passages, I wouldn't just say, well, that was going on then, and it means nothing for us today. It's just an account of what happened then, and then on we go to the next passage. I think there has to be something we glean from that about how the Spirit is personally involved and has a desire. God has a desire about the decisions we make, and He has a uh, he has an involvement about our life choices that we can sometimes be hesitant to admit because that does make things more mysterious and we don't like mystery. So if you remember what, what Friel tried to do at this juncture, because this is what Todd Friel was talking through, he tried to differentiate between providence and the Spirit's customized leading in our lives, where he was saying, did, did the Spirit lead you to go ring that person's doorbell at the right time when there was a burglar at their house and you saved the day? Or was that just providence? And he says, well, it was just providence. But what, our critique of that was you can't really do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really say those are two different things, right? I mean, that's to me, that is splitting hairs that the, and the Bible just does not split those hairs. Well, because the, the, how, what is the means through which providence unfolds, right? Like exactly. Is is yes. not the spirit involved in divine providence. Right. Yeah. So so I yeah, I reject that approach because it I think it's nonsensical. 
I think it's totally nonsensical. I think I think the rub that really gets it's challenging, and this is part of what we were talking about before we started recording. That becomes challenging is if if the if we do open the door and we accept and embrace the spirit leading, and you even used the phrase a moment ago that God has a desire for our decision making. Yeah, I knew you would say something about that. If we go that direction that open necessarily opens up the door to the question of does this mean that all of my decisions have sinful implications where if i don't do what god wants me to do i must be in sin i'm outside of the will of god how would you respond to that yeah um before we get to that i I think Uh, before we get to that, I, I want to dwell on a little bit more about the Holy Spirit's activity okay. in our lives. Because it, it came to my mind a uh, an article written by Doug Wilson in December. Oh, sorry. He, he shall not be named. Uh, may, maybe you can run, run the bleep button over this. On blog, on blog and May blog by Doug Wilson, he, maybe you remember this story. Um, He says, I was driving into town last Saturday to pick up the mail, and I was listening yet again to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. I was at the part where the witch realizes that spring had arrived and was going to undo her everlasting winter. The snow was melting, and the dwarf was having trouble keeping the sledge going, and the witch was furious at the prospect of Aslan returning. Just then, I was driving under some fir branches, and a load of snow slipped off the tree and fell into the road just ahead of me. Nothing too remarkable there. This happens in places where it snows like it does here. Happens all the time. But about one second later, as in a one 1,000 count later, the narrator in the book said this, And then as he looked at one tree, he saw a great load of snow slide off it, and for the first time he had entered Narnia, he saw the dark green of a fir tree. Now, this is the kind of thing that should make you laugh out loud or say, huh, or roll the window down to sing psalms or anything along those lines. I mean, I saw something happen through my windshield and then Providence, in the very same breath, provided me with a happenstance narration of that event. Only it was not happenstance, obviously not. And then he goes on to describe what it does not mean. And then he has a heading that says, surely it does mean something. And he described it there. So what do you make of such a situation, Ken? Is it just a, huh, that's interesting, God's not involved? Or would you conclude that it means something? So uh, the the challenge, I think, so first of all, God is involved in everything, right? Like, I don't think there's anything that we can say that God is not involved in. Uh, mm-hmm. I preached through the book of Ruth not long ago, and uh, rather than making that whole story about types and shadows and pictures of Christ, because um, I don't think that's what's necessarily going on there, I think there's, I think it's a story of God's providence, to use the, that word again, uh, through which the Messiah would eventually come through that line, and it was God's provision through that line. Uh, but in that story, there's a there's a really funny. Uh, I, I say it's funny. It strikes me as funny. And we we uh, as we were preaching through that, went where uh, Ruth is going to the field to glean, and it says that she just 
happened to come into the field mm-hmm. of Boaz. And the mm-hmm. the phrase in the original there is that she just she just happened to happen upon this field. Like it was just like, oh, what what just dumb luck this was. How could this have ever happened? And I really think that the author in the text here is kind of writing that with like a wink and a nod. She's like, oh yeah, it just just kind of happened to be this way. And it's like, no, no. This whole story is about God's providence. God provided for Naomi through this whole mm-hmm. thing. God provided Ruth for Naomi. God provided Boaz for Ruth. God provided children to Boaz and Ruth, which at the end of the book of Ruth is actually the the women of Israel say, wow, God has given children to Naomi. Like this is attributed to her and God's providence and kindness to Naomi. And so there's a, there's a lot of really neat things going on there, but there's, you know, okay, just a, she's just walking down the road and she just happens to go into this in, in one individual field. What is that? Well, this is why we don't like the words lucky or fortunate, right? right? Uh, you are oh, uh, that was lucky. particularly sensitive to that, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, when someone says, oh, that was lucky, I lucked, I lucked out. Yeah. If a Christian says that, that goes against the entirety of the Christian worldview that says all things are happening providentially yes. by God's good hand and his ordination of all things. So in the, in that, if Ruth never received any kind of revelation about that event uh, from a prophet of God or for God himself, from God himself speaking to her, could she look back and say that God did that? Could she say that with certainty, that God was the one who tied all that together? I think yeah, so, right? Yeah, God God directed me there. Absolutely. And we, we God, use that later. God had me yes. there. God had me there at the exact right time. And and what are we saying in those moments? Like, I use this illustration all the time. I've probably used it on the show. When there's a car accident that you just barely miss, like it could have been a head-on collision, and you give the credit to God, you are crediting God with all sorts of stuff. You are crediting God with slight movements of a steering wheel or pushing the gas pedal or delaying you a little bit at home or doing this or doing that. Or just the mechanics of how the brake pedal works. (laughs) Yes, right. You are crediting God with all sorts of things when you say that. And we are acknowledging in that moment that he is here and very much involved. Mm. So, I mean, where where Doug Wilson goes in his summary of this is that basically... Um, God sometimes breaks the fourth wall is what he says and, <laughs> and winks and winks at us. He says, one minute I was just driving down the road, minding my own business and taking everything for granted like some schlub Christian. And the next moment, the author of all our stories delivered that brisk little Philip to my forehead. When the author breaks the fourth wall, he doesn't have to say anything momentous. He simply has to remind us that he is there. So, Basically, that was his deduction, Mm. was God was just encouraging him by reminding him that he's there by doing something cool. So, in light of all that, what was your question about God's will? What was all that about? The the question of whether or not, uh, if we're saying that God cares about our decisions, and and we we affirm that God is involved, he's, he's orchestrating all these things, does that mean that when we make a decision about something that is not revealed in scripture. So I'm not talking about, you know, morality that's clearly revealed. The revealed will of God is the revealed will of God. Let's let's use an example again like you did with the lying about the 20 bucks thing. I think that was that was really helpful. Maybe okay. um 
maybe like being invited to go to, uh, I don't know, like a baby baptism, something like that. Uh, if you're a Baptist listening to this, that could be a real conflict of interest where someone invites you like, Hey, our baby's being baptized Anglican. So we can put the Presbyterians in a bind here too. There, you have an Anglican friend, you don't agree on a lot of doctrine. You're unsure about the church and, but that baby is being baptized and you've been invited to come to that and to celebrate this infant baptism. Would that work? I wonder there may be more, there's a lot there though, with like, uh, you know, convictions about the, the, what's actually going on in that moment and things of that nature. But would, would you Let's think? say it's the type of Anglican church that J.I. Packer attended. So, so uh, okay. the, do, the doctrine is, the doctrine seems okay, except there's some differences, but you recognize like, say it was the very exact church that J.I. Packer attended. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just inviting you to observe this to come celebrate with us. Come celebrate. Yeah. Well, what are we celebrating? Mm-hmm. The, the welcoming of a child into the covenant? It's a dear friend. It's a dear friend. You're in a bind. Well, uh, I have my own church to go to that day. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just, no. Remember, you're discerning God's will for you in this. Um, I don't know. If there's a better example, you could use another example. Well, there's all kinds of stuff for just from personal life, you know, or, I mean... Observing Christmas for you, right? <laughs> what about just like just taking a job opportunity? You you have two job opportunities. Something that's okay. just super yeah, benign where it's like there's not I made it more complicated. Sorry. There's not uh, there's not like like a clear there's no theological, you know, uh differences or issues. It's just you got two job offers. Um which one? Okay. Well, for those listening who like more complicated situations, take the scenario I presented and apply all the same principles. <laughs> J.I. Packer's <laughs> church has a baby <laughs> baptism where one of your close friends is going, okay, whatever. You know. Uh, <laughs> so if you if okay. you make it, job opportunity. You make yeah, they're 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 comparable jobs. Uh and you're trying to figure out which and God cares about the decisions that you're making in your life. If you take job A and God actually wanted you to take to take job B, I mean, is that a thing? Does do does God want you to take job B and you've taken job A and now you're outside of the hmm. will of God and you're sinning because you've missed God's will? Yeah, this is where you can be in danger no matter what you say here because you can say um, no to that. Like, oh, well, no, you're not in, in danger of sinning by which job you pick. Uh, but you can go so far to say, God doesn't care which job you pick. And I don't think that's true, okay? I think we need to pump the brakes before we say something so sweeping as that. But then on the other end of it, I, I think it, it would be an error to say, well, yes, this is a matter of sin or righteousness. This is a matter of discerning specifically what God's will is for you. And if you miss it, buddy, that's big trouble. Okay, that. God doesn't put us in that situation uh, that we see in Scripture. He, he doesn't do that to mm-hmm. us. We don't, we don't see that. Um, yet, we do see that He is involved in all of our plans, and He cares. Yes. And He cares. So we have to strike some sort of a balance here, don't we? I believe so. And I think, I know how I would answer the question, and I don't know what, if, you're about to, if you're about to try to rattle no, something off ahead. there. It, to me, it's, it, it's as simple as, Okay, this whole concept of God's providence and God's direction and guiding in that process. There are places in Scripture where God 
talks about okay there's using the terminology of the counterfactuals right the the what would have happened ifs you know mm -hmm. if this other thing developed this other way you know what would have happened then would i have been outside the will of god etc and the I butterfly think, effect yeah all those sorts of things i think the really simple answer to this is well if i had taken this other job i could have confidence that hey god led me to that decision too if I came over here to job A, well, God led me to that through whatever processes and whatever things came about, and and you know, God's will cannot be thwarted in that sense, but we're living out the will of God as we pursue God's wisdom and understanding what applying biblical principles. And so we affirm that, we embrace that. Well, if I had made this other decision, the exact same thing would have been true there as well. So does that mean with that approach? you can only be confident of God's will in retrospect. This is um, where Todd Friel started in our critique of him, where he was uh, playing that MacArthur clip, where MacArthur was asked something like, do you know, how do you know if you're being led by the Spirit? And he says, look, we don't get a green light, red light kind of situation in right. our lives about go this way, don't go that way. But he said, looking back, he looks back and sees, well, that that was the hand of God. Mm -hmm. So are, are would you say that we are limited to only retrospect and knowing if something was God's will? In a sense, I mean, I, I think we can have confidence of it in the moment as we're living it and not just looking backwards. Obviously, we don't know the future, so we can't say what things come ahead. The, the temptation that we tend to fall into is, well, if things go badly, that must have meant it was not God's will. And mm -hmm. only if things went well, well, then, yeah, okay, I can see how God was working all these things together, and I didn't even know. And, well, it just turned out so great. Clearly, that's the will of God. Yeah, and, and we, we get to be the ones who define poorly and well in right. that situation, too, right? So, I got what I wanted. God, yeah. it was God's will. <laughs> right. <laughs> so just to use my own life as an example here, um, job opportunities— well, this isn't exactly—this was ministry opportunities. When we came to Jeffersonville, we had other options on the table, that we could have gone to other cities and planted churches in other places. Well, if I had made that other decision and gone that direction—okay, so as I stand here today, I'm very grateful that God brought us to where we're at, and I'm very confident in using that language, God brought us here. God led us to this decision. But if I had gone in that other place, I'm also very confident that I could have said in the exact same way, I'm so grateful that God led us here. Look at all the things that we're learning and the experiences that we're having mm. because of the way that God led us in this way. I think God's sovereignty and his providence is great enough to I don't know I, I don't know how, how to how to finish that sentence exactly, but it's Yeah, well, cuz it's also cuz you also recognize it's not that God works with whatever we give him. Right. Right. We're not mod or um not modalist, that's the wrong word. Um uh William Lane Craig. Um oh, yes. Molinists. Molinists. We're not mol right. Molinists where God is like micromanaging our situations to get his way, but it's ultimately up to us to provide him with that stuff. Um we're not people who who say that God God has an infinite number of ways he can accomplish his purpose. It's up to us to just make the decision and then he'll figure it out along the way. There would, I mean, the whole time there would only be one way your life was going to work out. Right. And if nothing else, philosophically, you can say, because he has perfect foreknowledge, there's only one way that <laughs> he knows it's all going to happen. Um, but as we seek to strike compatibility between our responsibility and his sovereignty, we need to uphold both right. in this Christian life, 
not let one gobble up the other and say, there's the solution. So that that's a real tension point for sure. Yes. And, and when I taught that class on decision-making, uh, I had like three lessons about the tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility and how recognizing that we are responsible for our actions. And so we have to seek to pursue wisdom and apply good biblical principles and all that, but also recognizing that God's, because God is sovereign, that he does have a purpose Purposes cannot be thwarted, and that even if things seem to go badly, that is not for us to say, well, I'm just, I guess I was just outside of the will of God. Now, you can transgress the revealed will of God, right? Like, you can Mm -hmm. say, well, you know, I was motivated by sinful things as I made this decision. Okay, that's good and right to recognize that and repent from it. But that doesn't mean that God is not accomplishing his purposes through that. Yeah. Um, and again, I think we constantly have to remind ourselves that God cares about our decisions. Yes. He cares about where you live, where you work. He cares about the car you drive, the spouse you choose, the children you have, the attempts to procreate or not pro- uh, procreate. He cares about all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll hear people sometimes say things like, Well, God doesn't care about the socks I wear. That's, you know, I I pick out every day. He doesn't care. Well, until you get into a near miss car accident situation and you say, well, God had me deliberating between my socks or one was in the dryer and the other one wasn't and I couldn't find it and I was delayed just a bit. And then we credit all that to God, right? So we can be really inconsistent on this point and just kind of make sweeping statements that aren't very thoughtful. Mm. Uh, I, I believe God cares about every molecule of his universe and about what's going on. And and there aren't any rogue molecules, as some Calvinists are fond of saying on on Twitter in recent history. Um, That's that's a line that's been repeated a lot. Uh, But but God cares about every molecule. So, and the Spirit is involved. Now, we kind of got away from the uh, (laughs) Spirit's leading. But but if God cares, how does that play into the Spirit's leading? That's why we're talking about this. Right. I'm going to make, I've got five statements outlined on our notes. This is the end of our notes. I've got five statements. I'll make each one and then you start responding and we'll banter as we land the plane here. That work? Sure. So how, how are we to do this in our day-to-day lives, going about being led by the Spirit in our personal, customized context? I think we can start by asking God to lead us however he wills because he cares. Mm. So whatever means God is using in our lives to lead us, and there are all kinds of means, that we we ask him to do so knowing that he cares for us. So this, is that fair? This falls in line with the, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, part of the Lord's prayer. Would, would you say that that falls in line with that? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. So, and this is something that I think is helpful for the, we, we discussed this in, before we started recording, and I think probably going to be helpful as we go through this about mm-hmm. how, you know, God uses means to accomplish his purposes. And even though we, we rightly say, you know, God's purposes cannot be thwarted, well, he accomplishes that through the means of prayer, right? We, we would say that, that. What is prayer? You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're asking God and God is accomplishing his purposes through the prayers of his people. I've said that numerous times at our church. God is accomplishing his purposes through the prayers of his people. Yes and he amen. He doesn't need that means, but he chooses 
that means. That's the, right. that's the way he set it up. So as we are living out our lives and asking God to lead us in accordance with his will, that prayer is part of the means through which he is accomplishing that, which means that we can have confidence as we make decisions, and it doesn't have to be a fearful, oh no, what if I'm outside the will of God thing? No, no, no. God is accomplishing his purposes through this process. Mm-hmm. He cares. And, and when we're asking God to lead us, we recognize too that this is a stated ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead us. We're mm. being led by the Spirit. Mm. And so um, that's that's that should be in our minds. Secondly, and this is one that we struggled to talk through before the show, asking God to shut down opportunities that you're considering if it is not his desire. And this is more so as a reorientation of our own hearts, aligning our own hearts with the cares of God, rather than asking God, uh, you know, to get his way uh, or whatever, you know, God's purposes cannot be thwarted, Job 42.2, I believe. And so um, we recognize that God, God's will will be done, mm-hmm. but we're, um, you know, one of the things I do, I'll just speak personally. One of the things I do is, you know, ask God to make it clear to me if there's a direction I'm not supposed to go, that I wouldn't go that direction to shut down any opportunities that I'm seeing because I want to please him. Um, I, mean, I don't want to keep talking here, but another thing just came to mind a couple of times in scripture, we're told in the New Testament, there's Ephesians 5.10, I believe, and then there's Second Corinthians 5.9, I think, where we are told to make it our aim to please God. Mm. Now, that, I think, is, is more than just reading the Bible. It's making application to our personal lives by what God has revealed, and we can only do that by the Spirit. And I want to do that in every area of life, with even the choices that seem mundane. So... Asking God to intervene in my life with these opportunities I have in front of me that I would be oriented, uh, aligned with his cares for me. Mm. Yes. And this this is where, again, I think the reiterating what was just said a moment ago, that through that prayer, God is accomplishing his purposes. And that was really helpful as I was trying to think through this because— some, you know, my knee-jerk reaction to that was, uh, well, if that means if we're uh, asking God to shut down opportunities, if it's not his desire, well, does that mean that on the flip side, that we're interpreting every open door as God's desire for my life? Hey, if I'm asking God to shut down opportunities and to close doors, well, if it's an open door, that must mean that I'm supposed to walk through it. Mm. And we would not affirm that. And like you, you mentioned before we were recording, well, it doesn't apply to every kind of decision, right? Like, yes. Um, you know, just because the door is open I, to divorce your wife yeah. doesn't mean you should go through that door. Amen. That's right. Or you're dating someone considering marrying and like, God, if this is not your will, please shut down this opportunity, strike them with lightning, <laughs> take them out of this world. You know, I'm not saying we do that, oh. but, um, I just looked up those two verses, uh, Ephesians 5.10 says that we are trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Mm. Now that's a pretty astounding verse. And then 2 Corinthians 5.9, it says, we have this as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Mm. And so if, if we are going to learn, as we're trying to learn, if we're going to learn, it's going to be by the Spirit. 
So uh, we, we need to be led by the Spirit in our study and through this life. And so I also, as a third point, you know, asking God to lead us however He wills, asking God to, sh- to shut down opportunities to intervene. Also, thirdly, asking God to shape the thoughts and the intentions of my heart and my mind. Mm. Uh, Paul prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1 uh, for their, the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. And uh, again, if you want a handbook on how that works mechanically, you're not going to find that. But you've got a heart, which is immaterial. This is like the the center of our uh, conscience, our, the seat of our choices and our thinking and our morality. And that heart has eyes that can either be darkened or enlightened. And so I, I want God, through the Spirit, to shape the thoughts and the intentions of my heart and mind that, yes. as the psalmist said, that the, the thoughts and the intentions of my heart would always be pleasing. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer, mm. be, to be pleasing to God. And, and I think the Spirit is so involved in our lives that He does that. He, he actually works in our thoughts and uh, can direct our thoughts. Uh, again, Todd Friel was really scared of saying that. But God says that the king's heart is in his hand, and he turns it, shapes it however he wants. And if that's true of unbelieving pagan kings, how much more is it true of his own children? Mm. I think this is a really good point, and that's uh, asking God to sanctify our desires is so critical. Uh, This is why every time we sin, it's because we're led astray by our own sinful desires, right? And there's the... Uh, Galatians talks about that the the this are the spirit and the flesh are warring against one another they're contrary to each other well if we're being led by the spirit that means we're being led by the things of the lord and our desires are being brought in line with what the spirit desires and i i really think that is so critical for us yep absolutely so my my last two well, my first three were about asking God. My last two thoughts are about being responsive in the moment. So number one in that regard is paying attention to what comes to mind and acting on that as long as it's not sinful, obviously. Um, but if we're asking God to shape our thoughts, our desires, to work in our hearts and minds, we should probably pay attention <laughs> to what's going on in our thought life, in our hearts and in our minds. And and acting on that, as long as it's not sinful, um, if, we, if we believe God works in our minds and leads us, then let's pay attention to what he's doing and respond appropriately. Hmm. Is that fair? You asked the question, is that fair? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it, the, the, you know, one of the things that like um, that Todd Friel talked about, and I'd be interested to know how you respond in this moment, but the... Uh, he made comments just like, oh, yeah, you know, unbelievers have things that just spontaneously pop to mind as well. So how can we say that that's the Spirit of God for us, but not for them? Why wouldn't we say that that's the Spirit of God for them? I mean, the, the Holy Spirit convicts unbelievers of sin, righteousness, and judgment. in uh, the king's heart, again, is in mm-hmm. God's hand, not just believing kings. I, I think it, it's a very... Um, minimized view of God that says, well, he's only going to be working in his people. Hmm. I don't think that's true at all. I think, in fact, we have a lot in Scripture that (laughs) that shows he works beyond his own people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
they're they're his creatures. The creator can do with creation whatever he wills. Amen. And so, I mean, tied to that, then again, in the responsive category is paying attention to opportunities that present themselves and responding to them in faith in the moment. Now, not necessarily going the Beth Moore direction with brushing someone's hair in the airport, a stranger saying, can I brush your hair? Uh, Not necessarily that. I mean, that might happen to you. Um, But I I think, again, an obvious example would be going back to something we mentioned before, evangelism. Hmm. God may present just a wide open door for the gospel that we pray for, right? That's Colossians 4, praying for an open door for the word. And so pay attention if you're praying for this. Mm. And he gives you an open door. Pay attention to the opportunities that present themselves and respond in faith. Yeah. No, it's good. Very good. Mega ultra yeah. episode of Do Theology. This is the longest episode that the two of us have ever done, just the two of us, by nice. a lot. <laughs> just the two of us. But it's good. I, I I hope it's helpful for people. You know, there's there's a lot of challenging things, a lot of challenging discussions, and uh, how we word things and the precision that we want to bring about is very very challenging, but also very important. Uh, we want to understand the role of the Spirit rightly. We want to be responsive to His leading and guidance. And if we are praying for His leading and His guidance, as we rightly should be, then we ought to be <laughs> willing to respond when that guidance comes along. That's right. So that's it. Very good. Well, uh, how about that better pastor podcast? Yeah, huh? pretty good. Huh? Have you, have you been listening to that? Kate? I sure have. In fact, I just listened to the latter portion of your most recent episode today. It was very good. On bedside manner. Yes. How to, how to be, um, how to think about, you know, when you're doing hospital visits and things like that, how to, be a genuine encouragement to the people you're visiting and not a drag, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or a distraction, or a distraction. Uh, from yeah. what's most important. Right. Yeah, check out the Better Pastor podcast, a little side project that I have that focuses on the practical aspects of pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, what else do we need to throw in here at the end of the episode? Guinea? I don't know. There's uh, Maybe we could tease a little bit about just some things that are coming down the pike that are going to represent some changes to the old New Theology yeah. podcast. Um, so we do have an, an interview coming yes. up uh, that is going to be putting ourselves right in the middle of the old Baptist versus Presbyterian debate or Baptist versus sinners debate. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about... Uh, now, uh, we're going to talk with an author who wrote a book about... Uh, the different views of baptism, pedo baptism and believer's baptism. So that'll be coming up pretty soon. But yes, there's also a major announcement coming up on the Do Theology channel. And we're not going to tell you now. It's just coming up. <laughs> I was I was just going to follow your lead as I was being led by the Spirit to be led by you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, well, there'll be some more information that will come about, out about that in the uh, the coming weeks ahead. As, as we continue to think through things and uh, re, you know, refine some of the, the ideas and things that we have. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's going to be some changes. Part of that's necessitated just by life. Um, but we think it's going to be, it's going to be good. We're, we're excited about some of the things that are coming. It will be a bit of an experiment. Maybe, yes. maybe we'll end up doing a, a poll or something. I don't know if there's any good way to do that. Maybe we'll just try it and see what happens with the 
RSS feed stats. Right. But, uh, you will poll. let us know by your listens, your subscribes, <laughs> or lack thereof, yes. dear listener. But be be aware of that. Probably uh, pretty soon, we'll put out like just an announcement episode and talk through that. Yeah, so. yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, what's going on personal life wise there, Mister Jeremy? Well, um, it is amazing how spring makes everything so busy. Mm. Uh, you you think as you're in winter, like I'm still pretty busy, and it's winter, and then spring comes, and you're like, oh, I forgot what busy is. Uh, <laughs> spring <laughs> is crazy, man. And so we're dealing with some of that. Uh, just ministry life and everything is is full, but it's good. And uh, we are very much looking forward to wrapping up the school year and getting into summer as I have a sabbatical this summer from mid-June, mid-July, going to be on a sabbatical, which will be very good. So we have started planning for that, reserving our hotels. Just last night, we reserved a few hotels and started putting more details on those plans. So that's where my head is at. And I'm preaching through Second Corinthians, loving every moment of it, my favorite book of the new Testament. Mm. What about you? Yeah. Does it, uh, does it bother you when people say things like, Oh, must be nice. Well, you, you got a church and you need to do sabbatical. Huh? Must be nice. Here I am. Just gonna... People don't say that to my face, yeah. so I don't have to deal with it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It, 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 what about you? It bothers me a little you? bit when I hear people say that. It's just like, okay. And anyway, side thing. Um, yeah, it's busy, busy. Life is so busy. Um, my electrical stuff has really been taking up a lot of time, which is good. I'm wearing my electrical uniform today, old Chip Chase electrical. So that's what's that's what I'm rocking today. I was out doing a couple of couple of small things this morning. Um, so that's that's keeping us busy. The church is keeping us busy. We're a lot of exciting things happening with the church. Uh, we're, we've been having our membership class where we uh, are going to be chartering our membership this year, which is very exciting. Um, so we've been walking through that process and uh, just seeing some neat things uh, develop within the life of the church that we're we're praising mm-hmm. God for, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing how God is going to continue to move and work and uh, the things that He's going to bring about. We've got this is this is uh, I guess an announcement. Um, uh, we got baby number five on the way, so that's that baby is due Hey-o. in November. Yeah, November second is the due date. There, that's that's really exciting. Ooh. Now, I, I typically really don't like it when people do this, but I have to. My birthday is November 3rd. Hey, yo. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Okay. Well. Are you, are you going to find out, boy or girl? Mm-hmm. We always do. I'm, I'm not a fan okay. of like, uh, I don't like, I don't like those kinds of surprises. Just. If, Ken, if this is a boy and he is born on November 3rd and you do not name him Jeremy. I'm, I'll be crestfallen. I'm, I, I, you might as well just get pre-crestfallen and just get it out of the way now. <laughs> okay, well, don't, whatever. Don't you, your your name is too normal for it to be one of our children's names, don't you? That's know? true. <laughs> How about one of those situations where it's like a second middle name? Where someone oh, has two yeah. middle names, you can tack tack on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. I'm not going to say your, uh, all my kids' names on here, but uh, I have had a, a penchant for naming my children. Unusual names, I suppose. We're talking Old Testament names, we're yeah. Hebrew words that were never names before. <laughs> we're, 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 inven- we're just inventing names at this point. Yeah, that's that's the way we roll. So <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So what that's that's a bit of what's going on here. So. Very good. Yeah. 
exciting times. Baseball season's fun. Uh, not for me right now. It, it'll get better. I think so. Although, the sad thing is if it gets better for you, it gets worse for me. So, yes, I don't wish anything good upon your baseball team. That is the relationship you and I have with each other in baseball. Yeah. Is we can't be doing great at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> Anything else we need to say before we do our I don't think patented so. outro? Not, not, nothing that comes to mind. Well, we haven't, uh, we haven't solicited feedback for a little while. Just, hey, if this has been a helpful episode for you, mm. reach out. I'm just very curious how people are processing the role of the spirit and how they think about things. Let us know what you think. How are, are we missing the boat on something? Or is there just maybe, maybe through this, your eyes have been illuminated. Like maybe the spirit is using this episode to help you greater understand the spirit's role. Let us know. Show at dotheology.com. Good. Don't don't reach out to us on Twitter because I never really check that anymore. Alas. And until next time, do theology. key was i in i don't know that's like melissa's grandpa would say uh, i was singing prison style uh, behind a few bars and looking for a key that's good i like that <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty good